before we get to our show, here is a podcast we think you're going to love. Hello, I am Ood from the Occulte Veritatis podcast. Occulte Veritatis is Latin for hidden truth, and that is exactly what we look for in our podcast. We're three Canadians that love mysteries, true crime, and anything that intrigues or horrifies us. Each week, Ood, Sage, and Leon dive into a subject that has caught our attention. We come to the studio ready to present to our fellow co-hosts and to you, the audience. So if you like stories of crimes being committed, conspiracies abound, and other horrors of reality, tune in. You can find us at www.ovpod.ca. There you will find all the links you need to subscribe and listen. I hope to see you there. Hi Liz, how's it going? Hello Samantha, how are you? Great. Hello five listeners, you are listening to... Perhaps it's you. An unofficial Unsolved Mysteries rewatch podcast. Is it affiliated with its hosts? No. No, not in any way. Is it affiliated with its producers? No. No, absolutely not. Is it affiliated with Robert Stack's ghost? Well, yeah. We, uh, we would like to think so, but that's also unofficial. <laughs> <laughs> Is this our dumbest intro yet? <laughs> Yes. Possibly. Possibly. Hello, everyone. everyone. I can hear podcast apps turning off. <laughs> unsubscribe. <as we> speak. <laughs> well, it was good while it lasted. We know that at least one person has unsubscribed because we did get our first one-star iTunes review. Well, it wasn't a review. It was just a rating. That's true. It was just a rating. So we were kind of speculating who this person may have been. Liz thought it could be someone who lives in a tiny house. Yeah, I don't care if some men's rights activist that lives in a tiny house doesn't like our show. That's fine. Yeah. I'm fine with it. But it, it might have been someone that we do care about. No. It's a shame they didn't leave a message. It probably isn't, though. No, I thought it's not. It, it could potentially One be. One star? No. The Unsolved Mysteries lawyers. I thought maybe <laughs> that could have been. Very possible. I'm <laughs> sure they been, hate us. It could have been Jerry Strickland. <laughs> well, we did call him a dirtbag. A dirtbag and, and dumb several times. And we took the title of MVM away from him. Yeah. So it was probably him. It could be a treasure hunter. <laughs> we well, We've offended I, lots of treasure started, hunters, I'm sure. When we started thinking about it, we're like, how does anyone listen to this show? We've alienated <laughs> everyone. We're sorry if you hunt for treasure and live in a tiny house and aren't cool with us, you know, saying nice things about Satanism. <laughs> I'm sorry if you have a mustache and a beard and Liz thinks you don't deserve MVM. I'm just saying it's not a mustache. <laughs> it's like a different thing. Speaking of, I would say that Detective Frank won MVM yes. our last episode. I'm so poor, proud. Poor Beachy came in last place by a lot. Everyone voted for Frank. I mean, Beachy had a name, and I thought that was going to pull him through. And his hair. I thought the the, the overall aesthetic, I thought, would, would rise him to the top. But Frank just had a better mustache yeah. and a very well-groomed overall look. Mm-hmm. The people were in you, so Frank. You have to be on Instagram to vote for these things, by the way. Go follow us on Instagram, where at perhaps it's you. We post our favorite mustache every week. <laughs> Sometimes we have debates about who... Let me tell you, there will be no debate about who gets MVM for this episode. Oh, I'm intrigued. You don't immediately know who it is? I mean, I have my pick. Okay. So when we get to that mystery, I'll yell it out, I guess. Sure. 
How hmm. how's your week gone? I um have turned into a hibernating bear. <laughs> Remember how we started every fall podcast with, oh my god, we've been having so much fun. I'm like worn out by how much fun we have. That's that's long gone. <laughs> we were doing a lot of activities this fall. Now it's just if I'm not in my bed, it feels like a waste of time. <laughs> This is the time of year up in the frozen north where you kind of want to hibernate. The days are so short. It's pretty much dark all the time. Yeah, I get tired really early, but unlike you, I don't have a responsible sleep schedule. So that just means I'm like <laughs> just tired but still awake forever. Though, so, okay. Last night, I decided to watch Riverdale in bed and I got some brie. I got some sparkling wine with some berries in it. Wow. I put on my favorite sheet mask. And I lovely. was lying there going, if this is how I spend my last few minutes on Earth, <laughs> I'm really okay with it. Cool. So I guess I'm still saying I wish I was dead, like last week, but in a <laughs> in a positive way, where I was like, this could this could be the end for me, and I'm okay with it. I mean, that's the attitude to have, I guess. Yeah. <laughs> if I could be doing that and planning my funeral in my last, because I love to plan a party. <laughs> if I can be doing those things and planning my funeral, and then just like, you know, drift away. Sure. I really hope I die in bed, and I really hope something good's on TV. That would be the best way to go. If the fucking Drew Carey show's on when I'm dying, I'm haunting some shit. I'm going to be so pissed. That's when I'll come back. Like, how could you leave that on the hospital? No. This is terrible. Put on some Unsolved Mysteries Yes. while I'm dying. That's the point. That's, <laughs> how, impo- that's how important TV is to me, folks, and that's why we're, why we're here. What episode of Unsolved Mysteries would you be watching on your deathbed? Kurt McFall? <sighs> Yeah, that or the magic rock. It would have to be one or the other. Yeah. And then I'll be like, too good for this world. <laughs> and, <I'll... laughs> and people will come in and they'll see my like my music playlist I want at my funeral and like a sketch of my gravestone. Liz had pl- this all planned out. That sounds helpful for them. Yeah. Really. I mean, they won't might not want to do it and there'll be nothing I can do because I'll be dead, but I guess. Yeah. I like putting thought into these things. I swear it's not a cry for help. It's just fun. <laughs> they already kind of know the kind of people we are. Yeah, that's so, true. So they probably I would under- I would understand. expect. So we're going to talk today about episode 14. On Amazon Prime. Season 1, episode 14. Jam-packed with mysteries. Listen, <sighs> last week we were complaining because there wasn't enough original mysteries. Now we're going to complain because there's too <laughs> damn much mysteries. This has six mysteries in so it. So many mysteries. Which means... They just zip through these mysteries. Oh, my God. Boom, 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 boom. And I realize this is not the way this originally aired. They, like, found six short segments and put them together to form an hour. They, like, podge, podge them together. But this is also kind of choice. almost like an episode of America's Most Wanted because most of them are wanted. Yeah, because that, those are the short ones, usually. There's not – I don't think we're going to be rating this very high on Mysteriousness because – they're not super mysterious, They're but I know we'll be mysterious. rating it very high for reenactments because, oh yeah, my God. Some quality reenactments. This is one of the best episodes as far as reenactments that I've seen so it's far. It's just all over. You get, it is a little of everything. Mm-hmm. Should it's, we jump right in? Sure. Tell me about the first mystery, the missing person mystery. Yes. So first of all, Robert Stack opens the segment by walking through a carousel. Yeah, like a spooky... Um, at night? Yeah, merry-go-round. He's, he's wearing the khaki trench coat. I wrote down that this is why Unsolved Mysteries still tr- strikes terror in children of the <laughs> 80s and 90s. This was there really creepy. Something about a haunted amusement park or like a yeah. haunted fair that and is a certain 
like perfect type of creepy where it's like you can't really put your finger on why a, a carousel at night is creepy with robert stack in his trench coat walking through in his voice but it is. in the context of unsolved mysteries it was very haunting i hope that listeners to the show have read ray bradbury's something wicked this way comes if you're mm. into a spooky carousel yeah throw your copy of the night circus away that book is trash garbage <laughs> it's horrible and Everyone guess, tells me how good of an audiobook that is. I haven't listened yet. I I, I don't know. I didn't, I didn't listen to the audiobook. Oh, okay. I read the goddamn book made out of trees. <laughs> and <laughs> old fashioned lizards. Yeah. I mean, that's it's kind of true. <laughs> uh, oh no. It's about nothing. It's well, just it's, about like it's a young adult. Or is it a children's book? It's actually? a young it's a young adult. I mean, fucking everything is at this point. It's mm-hmm. a young adult book. <laughs> And it's just like different little gothy steampunky settings and nothing really. Ha- it's just people wearing like bowler hats and <laughs> okay. just hanging out in striped circus tents and st- like. Oh, all right. Well, well, there you go. If you love Night Circus, you don't like this show anymore. But <laughs> add that to the list of people you've offended. Sorry. It's, it's not, it's personally not my taste. <laughs> but I do think you should check out Wicked This Way Comes for spooky carousels. Obviously, Robert Stack loves them. Yep. Check he, out this episode, And he too. looks good by them. I mean, it set the stage quite well. So he tells us that Jeremy Bright was a popular sports-loving boy. He looked forward to... The only type of boys we care about. Uh, Sorry, go on. <laughs> <laughs> now we've also alienated everyone who likes sports. Well, we did that already. I'm sure we do that. They're every, long gone. Every episode. By the way, I'm super mad the Super Bowl is coming to Minnesota. <laughs> Well, everyone in Minnesota is. Yeah. So he he looked forward to beginning high school in the fall. You then get Jeremy's mom, Diane, talking about how lovable he was and how much he loved to play any and all sports. So, again, he loved sports, so he was a great kid. I don't know. He seemed like he was a great kid, but... I mean, really, what can you say about an eighth grade boy? He loves sports. He loves sports. (laughs) And going to the county fair. Yeah. Next, we cut to shots of the Coos County Fair. Sketchy looking carnival rides and a lot of middle America 80s fashion is what I wrote down. Yeah, I really wanted to go there. It's like, I mean, I love a fair anyway. It looks very dusty. and But if I could go to a fair in the 80s. Oh, man. Oh, man. Time travel now, please. <laughs> so the fair was Jeremy and his best friend Johnny's favorite event of the year. It didn't really seem like a whole lot went on in this town. So the fair was like it. You looked forward yeah. to it all year long. Normally, Jeremy lived 100 miles away in Grants Pass, where his mother worked. But during the week of the fair, he and his sister stayed with their father, Oli, in Myrtle Point. On Friday, August 15th, Oli went, or Ollie, I'm not really sure, to work before dawn and did not see Jeremy leave for the fair. But a number of people say that they saw Jeremy and Johnny at the fair that day. Around 4.45 that afternoon, Jeremy placed a long-distance phone call to his mother. According to Robert Stack, Jeremy told his mother that he was having a terrific time at the fair. She said that she <laughs> would be back. Sounds like something an eighth grade boy would say. Gee whiz, Mom, I'm having a terrific time at the fair. <laughs> that really is what he said in the reenactment. His mom said that she would be back in Myrtle Point in two days to pick him up. Five hours later, at 9.40 p.m., Jeremy went to a local tavern, which was owned by his grandmother, to meet his stepfather, who was now home from work. 
Jeremy asked to borrow some money, and that is the last anyone ever saw of him. Also, I loved that tavern. Oh, yeah. That Can looked, I go to that tavern? It looked very nice. It was a very, like, little towny bar. I don't know. It yeah. was really cute. It, it reminded me cute. of the little college town I went to. Um, two days later, Diane arrived in Myrtle Point to meet Jeremy, but he never showed up. At Ollie's house, Diane found Jeremy's house keys for their Grants Pass apartment, his wallet, and his new watch. She knew that Jeremy wouldn't have left without these things, so she figured he was nearby. But when Jeremy did not show up that night, she contacted the police. And then we get the most ridiculous line I have ever heard in the show. Robert Stack says, At first the police believed that her son had succumbed to the romantic lure of the carnival and had run away. And then, first of all, the carnival's still there. And the carnival does not look that great. If the carnival had left town, yeah, okay, maybe he went with the carnies. Yeah, they were speculating that he was hiding out, waiting for the carnival to pack up and leave Why so that he, he could do go that with them. Without his cool digital watch that he just got. The detail of that blue Velcro-y wallet that I just remembered, like, every kid had a wallet <laughs> like that. There's no, why would he run off without that? That doesn't make any sense. No, and he was He would excited. want his $7 or whatever exactly. was in there. Exactly, and his mom also said that he was so excited to tell her about this watch he got at the fair, so he, he wouldn't have just left that behind. Also, this was the lamest fair you've ever seen in your <laughs> life. If it looked anything like the reenactment, it was dusty and rickety and probably had like two creepy carnies and a clown. I like that they didn't want to say carnies, so there was a part where the cop went with the fair people. People. <laughs> Because he was trying to be polite about it, but also speculating essentially that they would just let a like what twelve year old boy just run off, run off, off with them. This isn't a thing that actually happens. I don't know. It was weird. So now we get Sergeant Steve Dalton, who I wrote should have definitely not shaved off his mustache. You could tell he did. Yeah, you did. Do you think he did that because he was going to be on TV? I don't know. Maybe he just doesn't like to have the mustache. You could see the shadow of a large mustache. Yeah. There was mustache stubble. Yeah. But there was no mustache. I know. So obviously he doesn't win. No, clearly. Um, He tells us that they thoroughly explored the idea that Jeremy was hiding out, waiting to run away with the, quote, fair people. Yeah, he, he wasn't. I swear, whenever a child goes missing, can they have me and Samantha show up for just some, like, common sense Yeah, here's theory. the thing about missing like, children. Even if they're running away, we still need to find them. Yeah, let's fucking like, look for them. Like, even if he was Jesus. hiding out to run off with some fair people, Which like, makes we still no gotta sense. go find them. They're still yeah. in danger. How about stop him from doing that? I don't know. Maybe they were trying to. But it kind of did look like they were looking for him. They were just it's not entertaining that, the idea. It's not that big of a fair. They could have looked inside <laughs> every ride and haunted house and whatever. Every yeah. booth. Of- that, that thing just it drives me crazy. And we still hear it when kids go missing. Oh, they might have just ran away. Well, listen, they're still vulnerable. They're still on the street. We still got to find them. Yeah, Samantha and I recently got into an argument with someone about this, about wasting police resources oh to be God. looking for children every time they run away. And, and we were kind of like, that's what I want police resources <laughs> to be used for. You wouldn't think someone would argue in favor of not looking for children, but people do, people do we, as we, we learn. We witnessed it <laughs> on the internet. We, I, we just got to stop engaging I people know, online. Sometimes but sometimes hard when they have really dumb opinions <laughs> like that. Uh, Anyway, the police finally decided that Jeremy was not the type of kid who would have struck out on his own. Also, his mom probably could have told him that. Oh my god, yeah. 
And also, Whoa. what was he going to go do on his own? Also, like, his parents could have told them that. Like, this is. I'm just, like, picturing the kid from the reenactment, like, driving a semi across the country. <laughs> like, what did they think he was going to go do? With their little cut off jean shorts? Yeah. Their he didn't, seem like, their he didn't seem like he would start go prospecting. Like, what? What was he going to go do on his own? I'm going to run away with the circus. That's what kids do, Liz. Youths. Youths. what they do. Dangerous youths with their Velcro. This kid. Their Velcro tennis shoes and their white socks. I know. These, the kids He's in the reenactment were really cute. And not the kind of kids that run off with circuses anyway. Because those children don't exist. No kids are that kind of kids. <laughs> True. And this wasn't even the circus. This was a rickety old county fair. Yeah. This was his favorite part of the year. He wouldn't have left. I think that's why they were speculating that he might have left with them because it was his but favorite the thing. fair was still there. I know. I know. It's, it's ridiculous. <laughs> it doesn't make any sense. So on Sunday, the fair folded up and left town. Myrtle Point went back to normal, but within days, Robert Stagg tells us that ominous rumors began to surface surrounding Jeremy's disappearance. These rumors are so scattershot. They have nothing to do with each other. No, but they make for excellent reenactments. Very good reenactments. Oh my God. All right. Take (laughs) us through the theories, Samantha. Robert Stagg goes on to tell us that in Myrtle Point, the week of the fair was the time for partying. Which, if parties were anything like the reenactment, they were super duper lame. (laughs) (laughs) It was just people sitting on the floor watching TV. And they were acting like this was a wild party. It's Uh, exactly the type of party you would expect a bunch of eighth graders to throw. They had one six-pack of beer for 30 people. (laughs) And... (laughs) A television. What more do you, like maybe that's half a, bag, a party. Half a bag know. of Skittles yeah. and you're all good. <laughs> um, according to one rumor, Jeremy attended one of these parties, and at this party he was offered a beer laced with a powerful illegal drug. Why did someone roofie Jeremy? I don't think anyone roofied him. But <laughs> according to this hilarious reenactment, two shady looking characters are hanging out in a little kitchen acting like they are too cool for school. And they are clearly much older than Jeremy. The reenactment has, like, middle-aged men, essentially. Yeah, this party for kids, basically. It's very strange. One of them pours a mysterious substance into a beer, and when Jeremy comes in to go through the fridge, he says, hey, looking for a beer? Well, here's one right here. And they both chuckle as Jeremy walks off with it. It kind of looked like he poured a pixie stick into that beer. It really did. Which is- This is Unsolved Mysteries' idea of a... Dangerous illegal drug. Pixie stick. That's way too much sugar, Jeremy. <laughs> anyway, and who's just giving out be- beers laced Open with drugs beers to random drugs. people? This is the thing. When I was like a little kid, they would have like PSAs or very special episodes of G.I. Joe <laughs> that would tell you that drug dealers were just going to be around everywhere giving you free drugs <laughs> to get you addicted. You know what it turns out? Drugs cost money. Yeah, they don't just give them like away. Like a lot of money? <laughs> to kids. Because people want them. So they, they sell them. They don't actually have to, like, trick you. <laughs> That's what I found out as I got older, and no one was constantly offering me free expensive drugs. Uh, they're actually for sale. <laughs> so <laughs> I don't think people would pour drugs into Jeremy's beer and then give it to him without him knowing... It was in there just for what, like a hoot? But Sergeant Steve says that he identified two or three witnesses to this overdose theory and that Jeremy was reported to have had a heart murmur. So a stimulant could have caused him to have a medical episode. Dun, 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 dun. 
And then an anonymous source told the police a different story. Robert Stack says that three local toughs showed up to harass Jeremy and his friends while they played in a swimming hole. This is the most ridiculous reenactment I've ever seen. These quote-unquote toughs. They were all wearing short, cut-off jean very shorts. Very, sh- by modern standards. Extremely short. Very short. One guy had a very 80s orange t-shirt. The mm-hmm. other two are wearing t-shirts with cut-off sleeves, but one of them, like, not only cut off the sleeves of his shirt, but he's also taken off, like, both sides, from the middle of his shoulder down to the bottom. Yeah. So it's just like a front flap and a back flap. He wanted you to see his side boob. <laughs> that was his... Ridiculous. Yeah, that was his nip slip tank top. And they all have curly uh, mullets. Yeah, they're toughs, all right. <laughs> I'm scared just thinking about them. Robert Stack said that things went terribly wrong. Yeah, they're on the shore of this little swimming hole, and there's at least 10 people there. In the reenactment, you see a handful of innocent looking kids squinting up at these toughs <laughs> from the water. One of the girls said, is that a gun? And the middle guy with the white short shorts and the orange t-shirt is like, what's this? It's just a toy. And then our genius sergeant, Steve, tells us that the anonymous jailhouse snitch, by the way, told them that some guys had been target practicing by shooting indiscriminately into the water where people were swimming. Uh, yep. So That's how target practice works. Yeah. And the reenactment, the guy with the gun fires one shot, and then the camera pans to the actor who plays Jeremy, who literally just is standing there. Like, he's squinting like he can't quite see. Yeah, I, this guy, I, I'm guessing they has, the sun was in all of their faces. They literally found the worst actors for this particular episode. Maybe they were the real kids, and that's why they were so bad, except for Jeremy. I don't know. And then another, then you, you pan, the camera pans back to the Tufts, who shoot another bullet off. And then it goes back to the guy who played Jeremy, and he's, like, flailing in the water, and there's fake blood. It looks ridiculous. And then the Tufts are like, oh, no. Yeah, they have, like, their reaction to this was like, oh, darn. Ooh, and then I'm like, if this is- <laughs> you just shot a kid. Yeah. If this is what happened, it did not go down anything like what was shown in Unsolved Mysteries. They it was were making completely- some joke, like, I bet you could pierce his ear. He'd look good with an earring. And that's like, that's why he shot at him. Yeah, first of all, where did all those people go? Because they go on to say that the Tufts then took Jeremy to a cabin where he languished for two weeks until he finally died, and then they buried his body to cover up their crime. According to the reenactment, there was like 10 people there. Like, where did those people go? And also, they're small children. They're not like hardened criminals that aren't going to talk to the cops. If you... Okay, imagine yourself in the eighth grade. You're swimming. Your friend suddenly gets shot. They pull his body out of the water and drag it (laughs) off to some cabin in the woods. Do you think you would just keep that to yourself? (laughs) Or would you run home screaming at the top of your lungs with the other 10 kids you were with? Yeah. Or you wouldn't just go, well, I guess I'm taking that to my grave. (laughs) No, No one will ever know what happened to Jeremy. Or why I wake up in the middle of the night screaming. (laughs) These theories are ridiculous. I don't believe any of them. No, this jailhouse snitch, according to the police officer, said that the body would be found within 200 feet from a cabin. The police went and searched the area around this cabin and they found nothing. Also, they listened to that story again and they went, that doesn't make any sense. uh, No, it sounds like the rumor mill in this little town was basically going crazy after Jeremy disappeared. It didn't sound like a place where a lot of crimes are committed. But Jeremy's poor mother says that she had to hear all these rumors and then have nightmares about them. This rumor in particular where he was shot 
his body was dragged out of the water to a cabin in the woods and he lived for two weeks before finally dying and then he was buried in a shallow grave. That's not what happened, but that's a horrible rumor to hear about your son. Yeah, she was saying that she really hoped that wasn't the one that was true because she didn't want to think about him suffering for two weeks. Yeah. It's so, so sad. It's just terrible. Unsolved Mystery seems to really like this idea that someone is wounded or ill and is being like secretly nursed somewhere and then it, they don't recover. Has that ever happened? I don't think so. It's ridiculous. Some weird situation out of misery. Like... Yeah. And then there's other strange things. Jeremy was last seen on Thursday night, but the following night, a sister of Johnny, who is Jeremy's friend, had a disturbing encounter when she was leaving an apartment around one in the morning. She says that she was coming down the stairs to the entrance of the building, and when she and the person she was with got to the last stair, they almost ran into one of their neighbor, whom she says was covered in blood. They used her for this reenactment, <laughs> and she's, you can tell she's not an actress. She walks down, and this guy stumbles in who's covered in blood, and she's like, who are you? <laughs> like, what? What's all this then? Yeah, what's this blood? I kind of loved her. It was I think pretty should, hilarious. I think she should be cast in all kinds of things. She gives a very deadpan. Yeah. yeah. No emotion yeah. whatsoever. It was pretty funny. Why are you covered in blood? Yeah, zero expression on her face whatsoever. Uh, the, the guy like stumbles past them. I don't know. Apparently another sister of Johnny lived in this apartment and she said that Jeremy came there a few hours after that and he was scared and then no one knows where he went after that. I don't oh. think that was. Does that make sense? It makes zero sense. He came here. He was scared. I didn't know why. I asked no questions. And then he <laughs> left into the night to never be seen again. Yeah. I also liked the reenactment of him being scared was just like a kid tossing and turning in a chair. Could you imagine if a kid came to your house and then was just like, uh, uh, it looked uh. like he was having a seizure. Yeah. It was And then you're like, awful. oh, Johnny, what's wrong? What seems to be troubling you? <laughs> I can't talk about it. Yeah, I got to go. And then he just like we what? It was very and then strange. I told and then I told no one until now. <laughs> so that's it. They were trying to find Jeremy. Unfortunately, no one ever found him. If you Google it's this case, really it's, sad. It's still unsolved. It is really I sad. I feel so bad for his mom. I do. She was extremely upset. His whole family. He was really loved and really missed. And I don't know. It's, it's really just, sad. And this yeah. this episode is worth watching because the reenactments are hilarious. But, I mean, the case is really sad. Yeah. They're hilarious reenactments of a very sad story. <laughs> I know. So. Which is a parent's worst nightmare. And mm -hmm. I remember when I was a kid and my parents constantly being paranoid about us being kidnapped. And Same. me being like, uh, too bad, guys. You have to raise <laughs> us. Nobody else wants to. Right? <laughs> but... You hear stories like this, and then you're like, hmm. It happens. It does happen. And it's awful. So that was mine. Okay. One out of six. You ready to do the next one? I suppose. This is really, this is just like an America's Most Wanted case. They call this an unexplained death, but it's really just a wanted. Um, this is the case of John Lee Martin in Virginia. It goes back to November 4th of 1988. It was 3 a.m., and he was a patrolman for, I don't know, the police department. I'm not sure which department, but anyway, he was a police, he was a patrolman. He was out doing his route. He was, and started investigating a suspicious car parked behind a health clinic. So he started following it. He pulled it over, and it was immediately fired upon with a 44 caliber pistol. Another great 
acting. Great display yeah, of acting. No, not so much. My One of my only notes in this case is where did they find these terrible actors? They really are bad. I wonder if these are people that need some TV appearance in order to get their SAG card. Like, there's this weird <laughs> catch-22 where you, like, sure. can't be in the Actors Guild unless you've worked as an actor, but no one will hire you. Unless, unless you're you have, in the yeah. Guild. So I wonder if they were, <laughs> this was, like... All right, look, we'll put you in this Unsolved Mysteries reenactment, <laughs> and then you can refer to this as your, you know. That's my only assumption, because it does not seem like a professional. Not really. Or this guy was just, yeah, like, around delivering coffees and sandwiches, and they were like, hey, want to fake shoot at a cop? It's going to be fun. <laughs> yeah, so as he was approaching the vehicle to ask for license and registration, he was he was shot. He returned fire and struck the vehicle, but was severely injured, you know, the car that shot at him drove away. Uh, a nearby patrolman uh, came to check on him when he didn't respond, but he had been mortally wounded. He stayed conscious enough to, in order to give a description of the vehicle and the suspect before being taken to the hospital. Um, he died from his injuries three days later on November 7th. The reenactment of this, where he's, like, giving the description <laughs> of who shot at him, he's so calm. Yes. I wonder if this tube is really like that. Like, he's dying and knows he's dying. He was like, it was a late model, blah, blah, blah. Like, <laughs> it sounded like he was reading off a grocery list. Yeah, he was so cool and collected while dying. Know, dying. Yeah. Um, so the suspect was an unknown Caucasian male with a mustache in his mid-20s that was driving a light brown or tan do we act like those are two different colors for cars? Light brown or tan, okay? <laughs> Isn't light brown tan? Would you really distinguish? If you're ta- I, I realize. Okay, I see what you're saying. I realize that you're talking, yeah. if you're talking about like, you know, you're painting a room, maybe you would. This is a car. Light brown or tan. Anyway, he couldn't see the license plate because it was in the back window. So when he had called in that he was pulling over a vehicle, he had said, I can't give you the license plate, but I know the top of it reads Land of Lincoln which is the motto for the state of Illinois. The car was most likely a model from the late 70s based on its size. This case was solved. On November 5th, 1988, a stolen car was impounded. It had been burned beyond recognition, but it had three bullet holes in it. These turned out to be the bullet holes John Martin had fired at the car. Um, So with some like, this seems like some solid police work. They tracked down this car in Illinois they tracked it down to 24-year-old David Wayne Mills, and they found some evidence after searching his home that also connected him to the crime. They didn't Maybe say what the that gun? was. I don't, I don't yeah. Know. yeah, they didn't say. I don't know. So he was arrested and charged with John's murder. He claims that he was there when John was shot, but claimed he wasn't the person that shot him. But John's dying declaration, or whatever you want to call it, didn't mention anything about two people. Yeah, exactly. So that's kind of hard to believe. Uh, Some accomplice was questioned, but never charged. And in the end, the jury found that Mills acted alone in the murder and he was convicted to uh, life plus 15 years in prison. That's really it. Seems like he had it coming. I wrote down that there's a strange lack of mustaches in this segment, considering how many cops (laughs) are shown. That's true. You see a lot of cops, no mustaches. mustaches. Even by the time we see the suspect... He doesn't have a mustache, even though he's described as having a mustache. Initially, he must have shaved it off. Maybe. To hide. Hide and go on the run. I think, you know, they showed some diligence in tracking down this car that was, you know, in a different state and had been burned. But then, of course, they did because this guy was a cop killer. Yeah. So, really, what's 
the surprise is that he was taken alive and actually given a trial. Yep. I did write down that the kids at his funeral was the saddest thing I've ever seen. Yeah. A lot of people came out for his his funeral. He was beloved in his community. And yeah, they showed some footage of it and his little kids. It was so sad. Yeah. He had like four kids. He did, I think. And his wife seemed really nice. And yeah. I mean, this was just a guy doing parole, a uh, pr- patrol. And I didn't fully understand what the health clinic he was at was. I'm not really And sure. why they couldn't assist him after he got shot. Like he had Was to, it closed? In the reenactment it was nighttime. That's true. So maybe there yeah, wasn't was. anyone there. But they're like, oh, we had to drive all this way to the hospital. And I was like, yeah, except that you're at a health <laughs> clinic. There's not like a even a nurse practitioner there, but apparently not. Yeah, maybe it was nighttime. I'm not so, really sure. So when David Mills is arrested, he is wearing a pretty great Canadian tuxedo. <laughs> he has a full on mullet. Yeah. And then you're like, Yeah, that guy is gonna get sentenced to life and he does. Yeah. There's, there's, like, nothing to this case at all. Not really. Should we do the next yeah, one? Yeah, just move on. The next one is a missing heir, which is actually kind of interesting. Usually I'm not about these, but... Does this one have your favorite mustache in it? Yes, it does. Oh, yeah! This guy! How could... This is the biggest mustache I've ever seen. Not only does the actual man have a huge mustache, because you see his photo, but the guy who they got to play him in the reenactment... Massive mustache. Um, the reenactment is my favorite mustache. Oh, my God. It's... You see it both bushy... And huge, but then you see it when he's like having a night out. You see it wax, <laughs> and it's got the points and that stick the, out. Yeah, so he like you see it in two different forms, which I don't know that we've ever seen. <laughs> it's um, a work of art. This yeah, mustache. this I mean, it's a clear winner. So yeah. tell me about these missing heirs and their fortune. So this guy Dan Willens was a mysterious Canadian prospector who spent his <laughs> life searching for gold. <laughs> <laughs> That's what Robert Stagg said about him. Some say his fortune may be as much as $3 million and that his heirs may be somewhere in the United States. Yeah, I'm one of them. Are we a, um, a long lost villain? I just, that's the whole problem with these missing heir segments is the whole time I'm just like, and give that money to me. <laughs> like, I'm not even paying attention. I'm just going... But um, no one's using that money. Three million dollars. No I, one's using it. I might as well have can it. Can we make a capybara <gasps> ranch with this <Yes>. money? <laughs> you have three capybara hot tubs. Yeah, a million dollars each. <laughs> <laughs> so we get some awesome vintage video footage of men piling on trains overlaid with podunk fiddle music. These actors seem like they're having the time of their lives. Yes. Well, well they're going to make Strike It Rich in the gold lands just, of Canada. They just seem to be having a lot of fun pretending it's the old times and they, like they were. playing poker and wearing ridiculous outfits. Like they got really into it. These Seriously actors committed. Yeah. Robert Stack tells us that Dan Willens was one of thousands of men reporting to Canada wanting to strike it rich. He tells us that between treks into the wilderness, they settled in rough mining towns like Haleybury and Ontario. Apparently, Ontario used to be a rough mining town. Sure, okay. I mean, they probably all were at some point. I guess, maybe. Or fur trap places. Sure. Fur trap places. Fur trap places. <laughs> you can tell I know a lot about Canada. Sure. Fur trap places. Dan Willens was well known by the age of 25, and I wrote down probably because of his mustache alone. (laughs) The thing was humongous. Uh, He was well known, particularly by mustache appreciators. (laughs) You can see his mustache coming from miles. They're like, there's Dan. (laughs) He's a mysterious prospector. Look at him come. 
Robert Stack says that thrown together by fate and greed, these rough prospectors spent their nights playing poker and their days hoping to find that one strike that would make their fortune. Uh huh. <laughs> Liz is not impressed by this. Not how I want to spend my life, but you know, kudos to the prospectors. <laughs> However, Dan Willen's friends didn't know him very well. He was very private. They interviewed some of his friends in like modern modern day. They're all wearing very nice suits. Yeah, they've given they've given that life up. They have. They did not look like rough they and tumble prospectors. They sold out hard. One guy tells Unsolved Mysteries that he never talked about himself or his past, so they didn't really know much about him. Another guy said that Dan was a gentleman's gentleman. He was always well-dressed and that from his walk and his stance, I would take him for a military man. But I never asked him about it because I don't care about my friends. Also, I have no idea what about someone's walk or stance would tell you that they're a military man. That he had great posture. That guy stands like a military man. What the... What does that mean? I think you get yelled at if you don't, you know... Is that a wide... A wide stance or like a... Yeah, I don't so like know. a man spreading wide. <laughs> no, no, I think, I think he was just you know straight and very yeah. Proper. Maybe he just had confidence. Only military guys can have confidence. No, but I think it is a particularly stiff way of standing and walking. Okay, Liz seems to you seem to understand the military stance. I think I get what this guy's going at. Yeah, okay. I can I'm picture still it confused, in my mind. But Liz has got it. So <laughs> maybe it is a thing. And I'm yeah, I think it's a thing. <laughs> okay. So, if you know someone in the military that has a send us a picture of them doing their good, military stance, a very good walk and a very good stance. Yeah, I get it. Sure, okay. That's one of the things that made sense about this. <laughs> I'm clearly hung up on it. But <laughs> Dan had a partner named Bill Koshner. One day, some guy showed up and pulled out a map, telling Dan and Bill that there might be gold 850 miles to the west. So they were like, all right, let's go. And they journeyed. No, this was literally a quote. One of them said, I think we should go there. (laughs) (laughs) I mean, that's what their job is. Like, of course you should go there. I think we should go there. (laughs) But they're not going to be like, nah. No, I don't really. I don't really feel like prospecting today. Gold, who cares? (laughs) So they journeyed for more than a month through the harsh Canadian outback. And then for the next year, the pair state claimed claims around Red Lake, where their hard work eventually sprouted one of Canada's most profitable gold mines, and with it, the community of Red Lake. The pair's gold mine produced over $45 million in gold, which Robert Stack tells us would be worth $1 billion in today's money. Whoa! I know. Um, according to Robert Stack, running a lucrative mining company didn't interest Dan, whose real love was panning for gold. <laughs> I mean, whose isn't? <laughs> <laughs> he didn't want business. He no. just wanted to be in, in the land. I guess. In beautiful Canada, looking for tiny golden specks. The reenactments did show some pretty beautiful locales. It's true. I don't it know like, where they filmed that stuff, but it looked nice. Winter forest. Yeah. They're by a lake. I don't know. It was really pretty. Dan continued his solo prospecting, but Robert Stack tells us that there was another side to Dan who led a double life as a gentleman of culture and breeding. I don't know if this is a double life. It's like I thought the same sometimes thing. he would bathe and go into town. And have dinner. This guy is fucking rich. Of course he does. He's a mysterious, successful, rich prospector with a great mustache. That's not a double life. That's just what he likes to do. It's like sometimes he would actually sit down and eat with a fork. <laughs> what a scam artist. It's like, well, maybe he wanted to wine and dine some ladies every once in a while. I don't think that's really that impressive. 
This is word for word what Robert Stack says next. Every autumn, he would take over the entire floor of the elegant King Edward Hotel in Toronto. He would wax his mustache and entertain his friends with lavish amounts of champagne. His friends that knew nothing about him. He's like a Canadian Gatsby. He really was. Yeah. Hmm. The reenactment in particular for this whining and dining is so Well, plus you get to see the waxed mustache. It's a beautiful sight. Yeah. I wrote it all capital letters. Why is this a double life? He's rich. I don't understand. (laughs) I agree. That's not a double life. I don't get it. Anyway, one day Dan disappeared, telling Bill that he was going to go to his cabin. But when he didn't turn up for a while, Bill went to the cabin and found all of Dan's stuff, but no Dan. Uh-oh. There are lots of stories about how he might have died in the woods, or he was killed after cheating at poker, and someone threw his body down a well. But They said that he might have thrown his body down an abandoned mine shaft, and I wrote, wow, so specific. <laughs> like, what kind of thing? I mean, I guess they were miners, but... I don't know. I don't know. This is also just a really harsh place. Like he could have. Yeah, no one was like. Maybe he went to his cabin and his canoe capsized. Yeah, or he got eaten by a bear or something. I don't know. Yeah, maybe he froze to death. But I think he was kind of the thing where it was mysterious and exciting to have. Maybe he overdosed on mustache wax. Thing? Too, it leached into his skin. Who knows what they were putting in it back Ooh, then? Who knows? Kerosene, probably. <laughs> <laughs> No, it would have just gone up at the table at dinner. Does this podcast make any sense? No. At all. Anyway, they're trying to find him because he has all this money. They describe what they know about him. He appeared to be from England. He was skilled as a horseman and at cards. He never married. And one prospector believes that he may have had a sister in England. That's not a lot to go off of. That's not even a belief. He might have had a sibling somewhere else. (laughs) Oh, okay. Thank you. Very helpful. His unclaimed estate was valued in 1936 at $71,000. Um, when Robert Stack was reporting on this, the money was worth nearly $100,000. However, we know that Dan owned half the shares in the mine he co-owned with Bill, and that Bill bought back most of those shares seven years after Dan vanished. It's not clear to me how he bought them when Dan was gone, but okay. he somehow bought them from someone. <laughs> Are we business experts? No. (laughs) Clearly not. They alone would have been worth $850,000 back in 1943. 45 years later, they would be worth much more. But no one can locate this money, so I'm not even really sure why they brought it up. (laughs) Money. (laughs) Money, money, money. That's a lot of money. Impressive. Yeah. Not only did he have $100,000, but he may have had $3 million if we knew where it was. The perfect amount to build a capybara ranch. (laughs) Coincidence? (laughs) Yes. A guy in Toronto whose job it is to locate missing heirs believes that Dan Willens was not his real name. He tells Unsolved Mysteries that they have reason to believe that his real name was Dalton Thomas Willens and that he very helpfully says they think there are heirs either in Britain or the U.S. or somewhere around the world. Oh. (laughs) And not the moon then. We've ruled out the moon. And probably under the ocean. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> that's good not mer people okay well who knows I don't who knows know. maybe he swam to canada so within days of the broadcast davy willens a new york businessman called the telecenter claiming that he might be an heir dan or dalton was apparently his cousin so they think there were family stories 
of an unknown cousin that they had who lived in Can- the Canadian outback, but that's all anyone ever knew about him. They did have some some photos, but that was it. It was pretty much just family lore. Um, they used photos to determine that there seemed like there was a relation, but frankly, they would have needed DNA to prove it. So, and this guy was, had disappeared years before. Yeah. So I, they were acting like there was this really strong family resemblance in those photos. I didn't see it. Did yeah, they, you? No. They show like four photos, one of all from Davy's family, and then one of Dan Willens. And they were like, "Look how close." Dave, this Davy guy no. also went to Canada to talk to one of Dan's friends from when he was mining, and he showed them photos. And the guy was like astonished by the resemblance. So maybe I don't. I don't know. That seems like you would see that if you want to see that. I don't really know why they were even bothering to look for heirs if they knew they didn't have any DNA from Dan to prove it. Yeah, they're like looking for heirs to taunt them. Yeah. You can't so, actually prove this money's I'm pretty yours. Sure no one ever got the money. I tried to Google it to find out and it there was articles about it. Like this Davy guy, he apparently he was trying to I don't know, negotiate with the Canadian government. I think there might have been lawyers involved, but nothing ever said that he got the money. So it didn't really seem like he needed the money. And anyway, no. in the in Unsolved Mysteries, they interviewed him, and he's like, I just want a Willens to get this money, even if it's not me. But I don't know if anyone ever did. So, yeah, I don't know. We'll post some mustache pics on Instagram from this segment, because they're oh, we fantastic. Sure will. But that's all I have for that one. It's really more a story of mustaches than missing heirs, I would say. I would say so. Let's move on to, oh, I've already forgotten how to say this name. Leo. <laughs> I don't know either. Co- Roy? Sure. We'll go with that. We'll just call him Leo. Sure. This is, once again, this is like an America's Most Wanted thing. Mm-hmm. He was missing since 1979. So this is a slightly older case than we're usually talking about. Um, he was a businessman who was placed on the FBI's 10 most wanted for murder, attempted murder, extortion, racketeering, fraud, <laughs> and arson. So, all crimes. <laughs> Basically all crimes. Uh, he was a fugitive on the run from the law that had not been seen since April of 1979. Way back in March 19th, 1975, a bodyguard named Chuck, yeah, Chuck, <laughs> was murdered in his home in Richmond, Virginia. His body was placed in a trunk, driven to the Rappanock River. And disposed of in the most redneck way to dispose of a body ever. Laid down with the bumper of a 57 Chevrolet (laughs) and thrown off the side of a boat. I'm sorry. It's sad that he died, but I mean, a little bit redneck to dispose of your body by tying it to a bumper of a Chevy. That's one way to go. (laughs) I should also mention that Leo was a volunteer softball umpire, which they kept bringing up. If you want to watch some reenactments that have some great 80s dad softball league uniforms, (laughs) this is the one for you. Yes. Poor old Chuck, thrown off the side of a boat. This information was based on police informants, as Chuck's body has never been found. Authorities believe Leo was responsible for this contract killing. You're kind of reading it like it's America's Most Wanted. I like it. (laughs) Well, this is just like a, such a straightforward this one, case. This one, there's not a whole lot of mystery here. During this time, Leo was also a softball coach, a loving husband and father. Okay, maybe he was. Sure. We've learned people are complicated. We've learned you can be a murderer that also has a cat named Snowball. <laughs> like, you, we've learned that you can wash a dish and still be a bad dude. People <laughs> we are, learn a lot in this are show. complex, right? He could be a horrible murderer and potentially also a loving father father and husband. 
and a softball league and coach. a soft and you really know? passionate about softball people are like onions they got layers but right. also willing to tie someone to a 57 chevrolet bumper and just <laughs> throw them in the water he was also a successful business owner known to be fiercely competitive he, if by fiercely competitive, you mean sending people to murder your enemies. Yeah, literally murdering <laughs> random people so that your restaurant does better. Yeah. That's the most ridiculous business rivalry <laughs> I've ever heard of. So that's one thing that he was allegedly accused of doing is that he would try to drive out other businesses by sending, quote unquote, this is from Unsolved Wiki, thugs yes. to terrorize the patrons. By terrorize... Two men in the remake walked in with guns and literally just shot, shot people. random people in a bar yeah. to drive that business out of bit. There had to be a better way. <laughs> there. Just have a better product. Have a better service. Or go into that restaurant and release a bunch of rats. I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> that came to my mind because it's in every single cartoon. But there has to be a better way to drive someone out of business than literally shooting random people you do not even have a beef with who just happen to be in the bar. Yeah. Ridiculous. Leo. Ridiculous. I don't like this at all, you loving husband and father. <laughs> like how you're just scolding him like a mom. Leo. It's not okay. Not okay. So they have learned that Leo and his men often... Oh, yeah. Also, if you weren't already convinced that Leo wanted for murder, attempted murder, extortion, racketeering, arson, and fraud was a horrible person, they learned, the authorities learned that he often targeted vulnerable groups such as the local gay community, as his victims of ex- scams and extortion. Yeah, because they were less guy. likely to go to the police because they didn't want people to know they were gay. So, Leo, you are the worst. Leo's a dirtbag. We hate you. You kind of look like Vincent D'Onofrio. <laughs> if you would like a picture in your mind of who you are hating right now. That's him. Picture a less attractive Vincent D'Onofrio. <laughs> That'll give you in the right ballpark. I also loved the reenactment of the when they went and got the hitman. Yes. Where he's wearing a white beater at a ping... A, uh, he's playing... This guy's playing pinball. This was in the October of 1977. He just walks up to a guy playing pinball and is like, will you kill this other restaurateur? And he's immediately like, yeah, I'll do it. He just is like, yeah, I'll do it. <laughs> There's no negotiation whatsoever. Like, how much money is involved? When? Where? Like, no, what just, weapon? Yeah, sure. Yeah, I'll do it. Just let me play pinball first. <laughs> Um, but it, it, it backfired and the authorities found Leo hiding outside this guy's home. The reenactment for them finding him was actually pretty good. There was a great follow shot of him running down the fire escape. And then you've got like the flashing lights and the sirens and the cops coming out. Put your hands up. Like it it was actually a pretty good reenactment. Yeah, actually it was well done. It looked like something from like an actual cop show. It was no local toughs at a watering hole shooting indiscriminately (laughs) into the water. Well, few things could, uh, <laughs> could match that re- reenactment. So he tried to hire this hitman who might have just been a random dude. I'm not sure that he was a professional hitman because clearly he was not. It didn't go he well. Didn't seem like he did a very good and he job. He immediately confessed to the police and said that Leo was the guy that hired him. So they indicted Leo on various charges, but he fleed before he could be arrested. Um, so he was on the fugitive. FBI fugitive roll call for a while. They reported that there was 165 sightings of him. Somebody couldn't get him. East, the East Coast, in Brazil, and in the Middle East. 
165 times. I mean, I'm, some of those were probably false. Some of those were probably just actually Vincent D'Onofrio. Half of them were false, though. Like, that's still a lot. Yeah, I don't know that the FBI did a really great job <laughs> of tracking him down because they didn't find him until he was already dead. While on the run, all the way in June 16th, 1991, he had a massive stroke as a result of diabetes in San Diego. He'd been living under the name William Franklin Biddle. The hospital received an anonymous phone call saying, hey, that guy's not actually Biddle. And the FBI was brought in, and yeah, it turned out it was Leo. So they couldn't even bother to find him until he was literally dead lying in a hospital. I mean... After 165 sightings. (laughs) (laughs) Um, Yeah, I don't... That's about, I mean, that's kind of it. He was 56 when he died. He'd been a fugitive since 79. And there had at one time been a reward for $25,000, but guess what? Those 165 people that called in, <laughs> you don't get that money. Yeah, that's really it. There, yeah, some, you get a funny reenactment and a quality reenactment. But again, because there's so many mysteries, this is so short. Yeah, this one was really short. I feel like he had a lot of crimes and we like, barely covered them. Yeah, they just kind of listed them off. And yeah. then they talked about the worst ones. It's like, look, he is in he has a restaurant, but also is using it to He's so competitive about his restaurant that it's like compelling him to commit crimes. He was just like a mobster. They tried Basically, to make it seem like yeah. he was really concerned about the success of his restaurant. He was just using his restaurant to do it's illegal activities. Yeah. But they're like, his need for success drove him into the wild world of racketeering. Fraud, arson, murder, (laughs) robbery, kidnapping. No, he was going to do those things anyway, but he needed some source of income to tell the IRS, which was his restaurant. But then also he killed other people at restaurants, which I assume were also involved in crime in some way. I'm guessing he didn't literally kill completely innocent people trying to close down a pizza place or whatever they were acting like happened. I don't know. I'm assuming that other owner was also involved in crime, but who knows? Yeah, who knows? Because this segment is so short. We didn't get a ton of information. No. So that was the case of Leo somebody. All right. Well, we got another one. This is also a wanted. (laughs) It's a wanted, but it's kind of a missing person, too. They call it a wanted, but... Yeah. I mean, yeah, it's we are both. looking for someone, but... It's both. So we open this segment with Robert Stack in a school, which is a little strange to me for some reason. Because I don't know, it involves just, kids. Yeah, it was just a weird juxtaposition of, like, Robert Stack and all these little preschoolers coloring in the background when he's about to tell us about something awful. <laughs> that is really weird when you <laughs> point it out, That's actually. A, it's a little strange. All those children are looking up like, what? No! <laughs> They're scarred for If you were now. one of those kids, though, <gasps> call us. Please, perhaps it's you, podcast at gmail.com. We want to know. We want to know. We want to know. We want to know. <laughs> On November 19th, 1988, a nine-year-old girl named Michelle Garchet and her best friend were given $5 by her friend's father to spend at a local market in Hayward, California, which was a suburb of Oakland. The two girls went to the market on their scooters. Now prepare yourself to be really sad. <sighs> yeah. The, first of all, the girls in this reenactment are so cute. They look like something straight out of Full House. They've got... Ash- side ponytails. Side scrunchy ponytails. Acid wa- acid wash jeans that are rolled up at the bottom. And this is exactly how I dress as a child. They're two big t-shirts tucked into their acid yep. wash jeans. Yeah. They're riding these little scooters. They're so cute. They were missing some puff paint cats on those shirts because that's really what I liked. It was about the only thing they were missing. I really liked a puff paint cat on my t-shirt at this time, which any vacation photo of me from my childhood, I'm standing in front of something beautiful wearing a 
t-shirt with a puff paint can on everything I owned had puff paint on it in some form or another. Look, it was just magic. It was it pure, was. beautiful. It was paint. It just dried and it, it was puffed. just... <laughs> I mean, what's, what's that better than that? That and a side ponytail scrunchie and a scooter and you've got $5 to spend at the market. This is a great day to be a kid. Yeah. Unfortunately. Um, Michaela's house was only four blocks from the market, but her parents insisted that she go with a friend. So her parents seemed to, you know, they did the buddy system. Yeah. Michaela's father that s- said that she would go often to this market and she would always ask her friend to go with her and they would take their scooters. Which is just adorable and I want to give them both a hug. Oh, it's super cute. Michaela's mother says that when they came out of the store, Michaela's scooter was gone. The girls found it laying in the parking lot behind a car. When Michaela went to get it, a man jumped out of the car, grabbed her from behind, and threw her into the back seat, speeding away. This is an absolute fucking nightmare. Then Michaela's friend was super smart and brave. She ran into the store and immediately told the adults that her friend had been kidnapped, and then the people at the store called the police. Detective Ken Gross is interviewed for the show and says that this case is unique because they do have a description of the suspect and a description of the car because there's a witness. So the police... Except the witness is like seven. I know. This poor girl, she looked through a bunch of mugshots that they provided her, but she couldn't identify any of them as the abductor. She did, however, help the police create a sketch of the suspect and they show the sketch on the show... It's a much better sketch than some of the ones we've I seen, a la down, Paul Bunyan. I wrote down best sketch we've seen yet using child as a witness. <laughs> but it re- this is actually, it looks like a person. It looks like an actual person. But it's actually like identify like it has identifiable pe- features. Yeah, it's so- not just like they knew the eyeballs are the same size. <laughs> they, they, not only did they make it look like a human, it looks like an identifiable, recognizable human. Yeah, so it was a young man with shoulder length, shaggy blonde hair, and a pockmarked complexion and get a very distinct kind of oval looking face yeah you'd know this guy if you saw him walking down the street this girl was a great witness she she, was. she went and she told the authorities immediately to help her friend she didn't just like run home because she was scared which i could totally see him doing yeah and then yeah it helps the police look at mug shots which must have been terrifying and then helps them create this sketch yeah, she was really brave, and I feel so bad for her. I'm sure she suffered some long-term effects from seeing her friend be abducted. I know, it's terrifying. And then, unfortunately, there's no updates. That's all there is from the Unsolved Mysteries. The episode just ends. I Googled it, and Michaela's mom runs a blog called Dear Michaela, which I don't recommend reading unless you oh like falling into a pit of black depression. <laughs> This case already is like a it's punch to the gut. Bad. In 2012, some guy in prison said that he was who was part of a murderous duo called the Speed Freaks claimed that his partner was responsible for Michaela's death. He told police that he'd lead them to some of the bodies of the people they killed. Um, the articles I read were not clear if Michaela's body was one of them, but there were no follow-up articles and this partner who he claimed was the killer killed himself years before he even said this Ugh. yeah I, I didn't find anything else so i'm assuming that went nowhere there's literally nothing that's awful she's yeah and th- yeah don't read this blog unless you like no want, i need I, a good cry but her I mother already know i can't handle her it. mother does say that she's accepted the fact that michaela's gone and 
Yeah, it's just... That's a worst nightmare. It's really sad. Um, It reminded me a lot of the Jacob Wetterling case from Minnesota because these were two kids who were just going to the corner store with some money to probably, I don't know, buy a video on their scooters and one of them gets taken. Yeah, and their parents knew that it was safety in numbers. You did the buddy system and they always, they go to the same market they always go to. She didn't get into someone's car. She didn't accept candy or whatever. Yeah. she he, she was lured with her bike and then snatched. Yeah, it's it awful. Extremely, extremely sad. Yeah, and I love the name Michaela too. I know <laughs> oh. these girls in the reenactment are so stinking cute. So they go from that to an unexplained, which is just like there's nothing unexplained about this. Not if really. you want to see reenactments involving some adorable old people, yeah. It's maybe a palate cleanser after we've had two missing kids in this unsolved missing kids. It's awful. Yeah. Yeah. Then I guess we have this last case. This is the Tatum house. Is it haunted? Probably not. But it's somewhere around Atlanta, Georgia. They didn't want you to know where exactly because they were selling it because it was haunted. So they they didn't didn't want us to go buy it. Yeah. They didn't want their house to not sell after people saw the exterior on Unsolved Mysteries, so they only showed the interior of the house. But then also the people who live there, so probably pretty easy to figure out, but whatever. This is pre-internet, though. So yeah, a li- It'd take some work to figure it out. True. The gossip mill would have figured it out, though. So this is Jim and Kay Tatum. They built a new home in a quiet suburb near Atlanta with plans to retire. Then, in January of 1986, five months after they moved in, they started experiencing a series of incidents that defied explanation. One night, Kay couldn't sleep, and she sensed a strange presence in the hall outside her bedroom. When she got up to investigate, she caught a glimpse of a man walking past the open door. Which, this reenactment, it's literally... (laughs) Somehow they managed to get a guy walking just by a door be hilarious. I mean, that's something only Unsolved Mysteries can do. Yeah, it uh, has a certain je ne sais quoi. Like, why does this look ridiculous? It doesn't look scary at all. No. It looks like, honestly, they forgot a guy was in the shot. Like a sound guy or something. It looks like a crew member just, like, hustling, like, whoa, like, trying oh, to get out of... can use this. They're trying to get out of frame, and, um... <laughs> it's like, did you ever watch Twin Peaks? No. I'm gonna include a little Twin Peaks factoid. Okay. Which is that, so the villain of Twin Peaks is named Bob, and he's just this really creepy looking dude. That was just a guy that originally, that was just a guy that worked in the crew, and his <laughs> face ended up in the reflection on a mirror, and then David Lynch being David Lynch was like, no, leave that in, and then that like reworks the whole oh, story. So I did not know that. I should watch Twin Peaks. It's but pretty amazing. I but, just haven't gotten around to it. Um. Anyway, that kind of... I swear this guy is just, like, hustling past the door, like, oh, I need to get out of frame. And then it was like, no, that was actually the ghost. So Kay told her husband, and her husband basically thought that she was crazy and just dismissed it as her overreactive imagination. And I told Mac, like, if you did that to me, I would be so pissed. Yeah. If I thought that I saw something and you were just like, whatever, bitches be Uh, crazy. It's just your womanly... Just your crazy woman brain. I would be so, so angry. (laughs) But so keep that in mind before you dismiss your wife's ghost sighting. (laughs) I also like more dating advice from last week. Oh, yeah. Don't dismiss your lady's ghost sighting. (laughs) She will divorce your ass. Very important. That's our most important dating advice yet. I also forgot to mention that 
Robert Stack is talking about, like, maybe this is the poltergeist or maybe this is psychokinesis. And they're like, why would it be psychokinesis? There's no evidence These to suggest people have never. He was like, it might be caused by them, except that they never had the problem before and it waited till they were in the house for five months. Obviously psychokinesis. Obviously psychokinesis. This is just like Robert Stack's word of the day. He's got a little calendar in his desk. <laughs> He's like, That's how can true. I work that into this Those episode? Those were so popular back then. <laughs> that was his word of the day. That's hilarious. Okay. The other things, okay, these are the other things they hear in the, the house that they decide are creepy. Drill noises. That could come from nowhere else. The drill was unplugged, Samantha. Okay, coins falling in a bowl. That's also so specific. I don't know that I would recognize the noise, just the noise of coins falling in yeah, a bowl. Know. Her blouse was tugged. <laughs> we got some mischievous ghosts, like the haunted as fuck generally weighing in. yeah. I put, this is the most harmless ghost. And also, it was there first. This is the ghost's house. And it's not doing you any harm. Listen, the ghost lives here. You are just occupying the space. Yeah, so they bring in a parapsychologist who is a dude with a clearly fake accent. <laughs> the fakest accent I have ever heard. I didn't couldn't even listen to a word he was saying because I was just laughing at him trying to sound prestigious. This was apparently William Roll. Is that also a fake name? It sounds like, like I, a fake name. I have to be called William or no one will take me seriously. Him being like, oh, there's a ghost. Did blah, like, <laughs> it sounds like Dracula. Yeah, well, <laughs> he did a different stupid fake accent, but it might as well have been Dracula. Might as well. Might as well have been Dracula. They had this whole thing about how she would ring a bell and he would come upstairs. That was hilarious. I, told, I watched this segment for the first time with Travis and I was like, can I just ring a bell to beckon you to... Was, okay, this is my question. Bring me shit when I'm upstairs is and you're that, downstairs. Oh, is that what the bell was for? Yeah, she was beckoning him. It wasn't for sexy time? I don't... I mean, maybe they also used it that way. I don't know. It's like, ring, ring, ring. Come upstairs. <laughs> and then he would come upstairs. I, I think she just did it when she needed a glass of water and didn't want to get out of bed. Oh, that's amazing. But also when... Okay, this is our other dating advice. Let your significant other just ring a bell and then you ring them stuff. <laughs> oh, the luxury. <laughs> that sounds amazing. Yeah, our respective partners are listening to this. They're like, like no, no, get off your ass and get your own shit. <laughs> that's insane. <laughs> but she literally did have like a little bell with a handle. It was like, ding, ding. Yeah, it looked and like he an would angel. just jump off the couch and run upstairs. Yeah, he didn't know that she was already asleep. These people's relationship is interesting. It's strange. So yeah. he kept going upstairs when the bell would ring, but she would already be asleep or the bell would be in a different room. And he was like, what? What's happening? And then they came up with a secret code, which was from now on that she would ring the bell three times. That was the secret code. <laughs> no one could ever crack it. But <laughs> The ghost could not figure it out. But then the ghost did figure it out and the bell uh, rang three dun, times. Dun, dun. And she went upstairs. And this clearly shook this guy to the core. Oh, yeah. He was freaked out. He was like, that's when I knew there were things that could not be explained. Like, it, it like shattered his perception of reality that this bell rang three times and she didn't ring it. Which, I kind of hope she rang it. It's just tricking him. <laughs> I think she was. But after this, they were like, no, we're selling the house. Because Maybe she was pissed off that he didn't believe her the first time. So. Yeah. Well, that was the other thing about the... She was, like, lying in bed, and she heard these drill noises, and he had been fixing something earlier. And she her original thought was, oh, he's teasing me about seeing a ghost. 
And then she went into the hall and the drill was unplugged. So this is just two people that are fucking with each other. I kind of think so. <laughs> I think maybe they got a little bored in retirement. You know, this is what my relationship's going to be like. In. And, yeah. It's just each of us playing jokes and the other one trying to convince them that there's a ghost in the house. And just we both become convinced. <laughs> They're, okay, I can't keep the Gallagher brothers from Oasis separate, but the ones who are always feuding. But... A year or so ago, I saw this amazing article about how one of them was always trying to convince the other that there was a ghost. So he would be like, go in his room and like when they were touring or whatever and move a lamp. And they'd be like, did anybody touch this? And then everybody would go, no, man, I don't know what you're talking about. Just to like convince him that places were haunted. That's what this couple was doing. Yes, I think so. But then they like, she's like comforting him because he's so upset about this ringing bell. It was kind of cute. It was super adorable, except that I sort of think that she did it. Oh, yeah, I kind of do, too. But maybe that brought them closer together. Maybe it helped their relationship. Yeah, you guys see it. I wrote down, cute old people hug. <laughs> also, I swear that I've been in their living room. In your dreams or what? I don't know. It just was, like, so familiar. It's just, like, an 80s living room, I think, in a way that someone you knew had a wood panel living room that looked like that. That's I don't know. True. It just was, like, have I been in this house? <laughs> Deja vu. Yeah, that's really it. A bell rang, and some coins fell in a bowl, and a blouse was tugged. Was it ghosts? Probably not. But these people sold their house because of this totally innocuous ghost. I mean, it sounded kind of fun, but whatever. Yeah, I would have totally stayed and tried to, like, get to know this ghost. Sure. And not hired this parapsychologist who seemed like a scam artist. (laughs) Well, you know, to each their own. Yeah. Well, let's rate this. Yes. Six mystery shit show. <laughs> so I'm going to call it. Six <laughs> mysteries is too many. That's a Listeners, lot of mysteries. I forgot I ass- about the last mystery. That's how many mysteries were I in this one. I assume you agree. After hearing us babble through six different stories, you are going, oh, that was too many. There's a lot of mysteries. Four is the sweet spot. It really is. So, mysteriousness. Uh, sideways? I don't know. Yeah, it was not that mysterious. Not I guess super. I want to know if these old people were pranking each other. I want to know what happened to these missing children, because that's yeah. sad as fuck. But, yeah, sideways, I guess. It's also just less mysterious, because we're in the future, and we know that it was never solved. So, I don't yeah, know. Yeah, sideways. Yeah, I'm sideways. Also, depressing? Thumbs up or sideways? I don't know. Ugh. Is that a category? I mean, how depressing it is? It's extremely depressing, but I hated how depressing it was. So, I yeah. don't know. Whatever. Yeah. Uh, the reenactments, though, two big thumbs up. Oh, yeah. They this episode good. is fantastic for reenactments. I, that is the advantage of getting six mysteries. The only one, I would say, is that you... There's a little bit of everything. Mm-hmm. There's prospectors. There's... Chill 80s children riding scooters. There's, There's murderous a fair. mobsters. There's a murderous mobsters. There's a people in the 80s dad softball league. Yeah. There's an old person ringing a bell. There's <laughs> anything you could possibly want. A shootout with the police. People in a bar getting murdered for no reason. Yeah, there's a lot in this there's, episode. It's going everywhere. There's short shorts. There's, there's a lot of short acid shorts. wash jeans. There's mullets. Uh, fashion, I'm also giving a thumbs up. Yeah, if you have an acid wash fetish, which, ew, I hate you, but this episode is for you. (laughs) We've got a lot of listeners, I'm sure, with acid washed fetishes. (laughs) I don't know. That was the one fashion trend that I was like, it can never come back. It's You look back at photos and you're just like, oh, what were we thinking? And then it did. So someone likes it somewhere. I guess. I guess. 
Robert Stack's outfits, I think we should change this category to just Robert Stack in general. Okay. Like maybe like his his locale. He's back at the gentleman's study in one of these. Yeah. He's he got was. the carousel, the school. Robert Stack in general. <laughs> How are we not going to give that a thumbs up every time? Robert Stack's great. I guess, but sometimes he's in some boring places and wearing some boring outfits and his narration yeah. is kind of boring. I'm going to give this a sideways and that's really just for the carousel, not his outfit. Yeah, I'm about sideways in that one too. We know that Samantha's just waiting for him to wear some turtlenecks and every episode she tunes in she's like, is this the one? And I'm disappointed every oh, time. Oh no, it's not. No. Is this the one where he's playing tennis without a shirt on? Oh no, it's not. That was just a photo. You can find internet. that one. That's abundant on the internet. Yeah, it's not it's, hard to find. There's a lot of thirsty it's ladies not that as circulate sexy that as people photo all over the place. It's not. His pants are so high waisted in that. Yeah, it's I don't not know. The best. There's shot. There's shots of young Robert Stack that are a lot more appealing than shirtless Robert Stack playing <laughs> tennis at the country club. I don't know. No. I know just, a lot of people disagree with us, but just, no. it's not my favorite. We're, we are trying to alienate every single listener. Including people who have crushes on Robert Stack. Which, this day. of course, they would be listening to our show. Of so course they would. A bad plan. Oh my god. Guys, go give us five out of five Robert Stacks on iTunes to cancel out all the one-star <laughs> reviews we're gonna get. <laughs> um, how do you rate this episode as a whole? I'm gonna do like I don't know four out of five Robert Stacks? I was gonna say three. I really enjoyed it. I enjoyed the reenactments in particular. Um, there are some depressing things that bring it down for me, so I'm I'm a four. But I feel like six mysteries again, too many mysteries. It's just speeding through things. Where in some it cases I would like over. more information. Yeah. It's kind of too much and all over the place. The variety is nice, and some of the stories are good, but it's just not my favorite episode. I'm big on the reenactment, so I'm giving this one a four, but not That's, a five. This is no Kurt McFall. If only. Few things are, my friend. <laughs> it's true. Few things are. It's quite, quite true. My new favorite tweet is someone, I have no idea who this person is, just tweeted, and I know nothing about them or what their other tweets are like, I would just want to watch Unsolved Mysteries with you, bitch. <laughs> All lowercase, no punctuation. <laughs> Which really sums up Liz and I's friendship. Yes. We just want to watch Unsolved Mysteries <laughs> with you, bitch. I just want to watch Unsolved Mysteries with you, bitch. <laughs> Which, let's put that on some t-shirts. Yes. I would wear that. <laughs> yes. Yes, yes, Do yes. you want to start recommendations this week while I debate what I'm going to recommend? <laughs> <laughs> we could just listen to Jazz Loon again. I'm sure they'd yes. be fine with it. So I have a recommendation of a Netflix show. Okay. This is the Netflix original series that's pretty new. I want to say it came out like a month ago, maybe slightly sooner. It is called A Shot in the Dark. Oh. And um, I really like it. It's a show where they follow three companies of stringers. Do you know who that is? No. I didn't know either until I watched the show. A stringer is a freelance videographer who sells their footage to news outlets. So this is like the movie Nightcrawler. I've never but seen it. real. Maybe. Okay. These people are in Los Angeles and sort of the surrounding areas. And they basically race around in these really fancy cars. They have police scanners. And some of the bigger companies even have like dispatch centers where they basically race around to car fires, police chases, murders, anything that makes the news basically. And they try and get video footage and then sell it to the local stations um, first of all, the premise is really fascinating. It was a job that I had never know existed. And it's really interesting to follow these guys around and see like one, how they deal with seeing some pretty awful shit. 
And, you know, some of them are a little more callous than others. And they interact with, I mean, they see police and firefighters all the time. So some of them like try and build rapport. Other ones are kind of like assholes to them. And um, you see kind of like the the main guy who has the biggest company. And then you see kind of like the little guys who are trying to keep up. And it's interesting because these people really like built this industry in Los Angeles from nothing. And now they have some very successful businesses. Um, it's also beautifully shot. Like the camera work is kind of incredible. It's almost... <laughs> too much at times like you can tell that they're trying to be a little fast and furious like there's a lot of fast car engine sounds that you can tell were put like in post sure um there's also they do a ton of these shots why don't we add that to our show some fast car engine yeah just like revving engines all the time that'll really appeal to our male audience i think (laughs) i don't know i think don't you guys love revving engine (laughs) sounds when you're smoking your little cigars. <laughs> That's what men do, right? That's what men do. I was watching, Travis and I binged this show in a couple days, and the every single episode, I swear, because he's a mechanic, he's like, that car doesn't sound like that. And I'm like, I don't care. <laughs> it's adding but to I, it. I'm sure it's really bothering him. It probably did. Where he's like, but now this doesn't make sense. I know. Um, they also do a ton of these shots where the camera is mounted outside of the windshield looking at the driver. So you see, like, the driver while he's talking, and then you see, like, the city flashing in the background, which is kind of cool the first time, and then they do it a million times each episode, and you're like, all right, we're trying a little we too hard. We get it. We get it. But I do forgive it because it's really well done, and the first episode is nuts. Like, if you don't watch the show, at least watch the first episode because it, some crazy okay. shit happens. Um, the first two episodes kind of cover that, and yeah, it's worth watching just for that because it's bananas. I will say, and I don't want to spoil it, but those are like the most exciting episodes of the series, but I still enjoyed watching the whole thing because you kind of get like these guys' stories, and you see all these different types of things that they run after, like fires and robberies, and hmm. they put themselves in some pretty dangerous situations, and I don't know. I, I found it really interesting. It made me wonder if we have people like that here. I don't, I don't know, know that, that we, we do. have enough car fires. I don't know either. And when I think about, I mean, it's been a long time since I've watched like network television news, but I don't, Yeah, I don't think there's often, cause they'll show like the footage that they get and it's really good. Like it's perfect. They carry around huge professional cameras and get like really well shot footage of like a car accident or someone getting arrested. Huh. They'll do this thing where they film police chases and, like, in order to sell a good police chase, you have to get the passing shot. So you have to get, like, the police chasing the car. Then you have to, like, jump back into your car and, like, race. So you have to race to get in front of the police chase so that you can jump out of your car and get, a sh- like, a shot of the car and the police going by. Then you have to jump back in your car and race to, like, follow the, the chase and get the shot of them arresting the guy or whatever. Um, it was really interesting. And not a job I'd want, but... See, now, okay, now I want you to watch this movie, Nightcrawler, which stars Jake Gyllenhaal. And I've heard of this movie. A few years ago. Not so many. I want to say three or four <laughs> years so ago. Not so many years. Not so many years ago. Where he is one of those people oh. and is a total creep. <laughs> okay. So I just, now I'm like, oh, how realistic was that? I don't know. You can watch the show to find out. Dun, dun, dun. I really loved it. I've recommended it to a couple people and like one of Travis's friends texted us like two days after we recommend it, recommended it to him. And he's like, I just watched the whole series. <laughs> so it's really good. I'm kind of and surprised. very well done. Like Netflix is doing a good job with their original shows. Yeah, that's true. I'm kind of surprised you didn't recommend Canada's Worst Handyman. Oh my God. 
<laughs> you Just guys kidding i should have recommended it because i <laughs> fucking love that show I actually was just, Travis, there's only two seasons on Netflix. I know, I just finished it. We finished it. I'm so sad. I actually had Travis scouring the internet to try and find it illegally because (laughs) I want more and it's nowhere. Really? Because the first few seasons aren't on Netflix. We couldn't find it anywhere and there's quite a few seasons. There's a lot of Canada's Worst Driver. So this show, if you've never heard of it, is they take... It's very much what it sounds like. Exactly what it sounds like. They take five people that are terrible at handiwork and they put them in like a... The, the seasons I watched, there was a bed and breakfast in like a wilderness lodge. They yes. each get a room and they have all these tasks. So build a shelf, do drywalling, do flooring, put a sink in. And they're so bad at it. It's kind of hard to watch sometimes because it's, they're so bad. So it's almost a little stressful. I forced Travis to watch it amusing. because it's one of my new favorite shows. <laughs> And he is extremely handy. So frequently, I'll just be watching it, just laughing my ass off. And then I'll just look over at him because he's not laughing. And he just has his head in his hands. Because someone is trying <laughs> to, like, nail in a screw. Oh, yeah. Or something. You yeah. have to at least watch season three for one guy, Joe. They nickname him The Bullet. And he's just this huge, like, muscly dude who is only good at hammering shit. So every time they give him a task, he'll, like, try and do it until you can kind of see his, like, brain short circuit. And then he's like, just give me a hammer. And he just smashes it. It's, I mean, it's something. If you want to feel better about your handiwork skills. Oh, yeah. I'm not handy at all. But I frequently watch the show and I'm like, I can do this. It's not that hard. I would not try to hammer that screw. So I would at least try and screw in a screw. Yeah. So I can't be that bad. Oh, my God. It's so good. The host is also hilarious. And, like, we'll make fun of people in ways that are just kind of subtle. And, like, they don't get it. But the audience gets it. It's very deadpan. Yeah. It's extremely deadpan. They bring in, like, experts to help them or whatever. I don't know. It's really good. And I wish Netflix would get more of the seasons. Netflix, because I miss we it. We need more Canada's Worst Handyman. You know, I, I finished season three, and I was like, I need like 20 more episodes of this. <laughs> it's so good. <laughs> so, yeah, I have two recommendations for you. And I tried to watch Canada's Worst Driver. I just didn't have the same appeal. But it's the same no. thing. It's people that can't drive, and they make That's, them drive. That would actually stress me out a lot. The only episode I, the one episode I remember, like one woman showed up in like four inch heels. To her, like, driving test or whatever. My feet hurt just thinking about that. Yeah, they're like, how are you going to drive in four-inch heels? And she's like, I'll make it work. And then she tries and can't do it or whatever. I don't know. It's just a bunch of people that can't drive a stick shift and they put them with a oh, stick shift. I mean, I, I would look drive bad. A stick yeah, shift. I would look bad if I tried to do that. There's my confession. Um, um, anyway, that's what I got for you. Did gonna... you decide on a recommendation? <laughs> you could have done it in Canada's I could have done Canada's I stole it from you. That's fine. I brought it up. It's a joint recommendation. Um, I'm also going to recommend a show. Probably everybody's already watched this. I don't know if there's a point in recommending it, except that I want to talk about it because <laughs> I'm rewatching it again. And that is The Night Manager. Okay. Which is on Amazon. It is a miniseries that stars Tom Hiddleston and Hugh Laurie. And it's fucking amazing. And I, yeah, I think I'm watching it for the fourth time. And I'm still like so wrapped that cast in immediately appeals to me the story everybody in it is so good it's shot beautifully like it, it i can't remember if there's like six or eight episodes but it, it's just like a long beautiful movie and it's kind of a spy story so it's weird that i'm recommending it because there's really nothing i care about less than spies <laughs> just to alienate some more people you don't like spies? No. Why not? Like a Bond movie or a Jason Bourne movie, that could not have less appeal to me. I do not care. Oh, that's interesting. I mean, I guess I don't love those kinds of movies, but I don't hate them either. I 
I don't, can't even explain it. I think it's because I'm not a nationalist, and so their motivation for doing all these things makes no sense. Like, <laughs> okay, I, I can understand that. Who cares? Why? Why are you doing any of this? But anyway, in this movie, Tom Hiddleston is this like extremely competent hotelier night manager guy who gets sucked in to uh, exposing some international criminals by uh, accidentally coming upon some evidence and then gets, I'm going to spoil it slightly. This doesn't happen until the like first end of the first episode. He gets converted into a spy, recruited as a spy mm. for um, the English government. But so that does not sound appealing to me at all. If I, <laughs> but I think I started watching it like not even knowing what it was where I was just like, it doesn't really sound like a spy movie if you just read the title, The Night Manager. Yeah. So I can it's see. It's just like him trying to bring down the Hugh Laurie character. And it ha- I can't remember her name, but it has the woman who plays the female detective in Broadchurch. For anybody who watched Broadchurch, which is an amazing show, she does a great job, obviously. The acting in it is so good. I think the story is really good. And I just, yeah, I feel like I could just keep watching it forever. It's I don't know. Also, yeah, there's something really humorous to me in a lot of like spy shows or detective shows. Like the fact that there's like this attractive woman is like her whole character kind oh, of. Oh yeah, I that, do like, hate that. It's that, a trope like, that's that gotta go. Yeah, that like honeypot character. It's like, how is this female spy gonna infiltrate such and such? It's like, well, with her cause, boobs because she's so hot. Everybody will want to sleep with her. That's Tom Hiddleston in this movie. <laughs> Like, if you're familiar with the concept of male gaze, which is something in a movie that drives me insane, like, the the shot of a woman getting out of a car that starts with her foot and then scrolls oh, yeah. up her whole body, that's how this show treats Tom Hiddleston. <laughs> it's fascinating. Like, Uh-oh. the reason that he, part of the reason that he's good at being a spy is because he's handsome and everybody wants to hang out with him. I mean, And there's right. just lots of shots of him, like, showering and shit. <laughs> So, so if you're a big fan of Tom Hiddleston, you know I, who you are. You know you, who you are. You probably already watched You've this. You've watched this 1,200 times. I It's an, it's an interesting little gender reversal there, oh. I'm going to say, which okay. I really appreciate. So head off to you, Night Manager. Travis and I are putting off watching Vikings, so I might need to watch this show instead. <laughs> I don't know. <laughs> I Why are you putting it on? We watched, okay, so we watched like all of the seasons up until now of the show Vikings on the History Channel, and it yeah. just got a little weird to the point where like I kind of like dreaded watching it. Yeah, I know what you mean. You don't, like series get that way, and so like the next season has come out, and we feel like like we are sort of invested in the show now, and we're a little invested in finding out what happens, but we also like don't really want to watch it. It's very weird. So we like... Have you have them. to kind of know what happens, but in another way, you actually don't want to spend the time I watching know. it. Yeah, so we no, have them, I know like, exactly. We have the episodes like lined up in the queue, and like the other night, we had literally nothing to watch because we finished Canada's Worst Handyman, we finished <laughs> A Shot in the Dark, and we just kind of like stared at Netflix, like both not wanting to say that we should I, watch Vikings. I think <laughs> I think you should give this a try because it is exciting. I yeah, I would recommend it if anybody has watched it and they have some thoughts. Maybe things I'm wrong about that I just said. <laughs> Let me know. I would Tweet love, us at perhaps I would, you. Yeah, I would love an excuse to talk about it. So yeah. I think that's all we got for you this week. I think so. So many mysteries. Thanks to everyone who has reviewed us on iTunes. We really appreciate Except it. Except for that one star Except person. for that one asshole who gave us one star. <laughs> <laughs> Which we're not bitter about at all. It's no. totally fine. 
And follow us on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter. We're at Perhaps It's You. Shout out to Thomas, who made an awesome haunted as fuck. Um, oh, image. yeah. It's in and the, now you can get a, a mug on Redbubble or whatever that, that site's says called. Haunted as fuck. And it's in the. Um, like the script, the in between each segment of Unsolved yeah. Mysteries script. Samantha ordered one. So I got a I got a coffee mug coming. She won't have to use my Little Mermaid mug from the eighties anymore. Mm-hmm. She'll be able to use her very own haunted as fuck mug when she. I'm very excited about it. When we it. record, yeah, it's, it's amazing to me that people are creating like fan art. I kind of can't from wrap, our show. Wrap my mind around. I it. think I told Liz that we're like Karen and Georgia from My Favorite Murder, even though we're not. <laughs> Because they have, like, an entire industry devoted to fan art. Really, really not. But But it still is pretty cool. Yeah, you can see it on all our social media. Go check it out. And if you have a ghost story or some other weird story, we would love for you to email us. email us at perhaps... Perhaps it's you podcast at gmail.com. Yes, because we are collecting those, and we're going to put together an episode of... promise we'll do a bonus episode. ...of listener stories. It'll probably be after the holidays. Yeah, we're just... We don't have a lot of time. We're combining all of our resources there so that'll happen one of these days if you want your story to be included Please get in email touch us and yeah go solve some mysteries yeah i'm gonna eat these cookies samantha brought now probably all of them <laughs> so that's great. my afternoon everybody else go solve some mysteries yep bye love you bye